You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Brian Haley, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Man, you are already a brother from another mother. Looking forward to speaking with you today and hearing your story. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian, for uh, having me on. I feel the same way. I'm super excited to be on your show. Thank you. You were a Navy pilot, a helicopter pilot, and then you had an amazing moment. Amazing, I put in air quotes, uh, with a, (laughs) a helicopter crash where all the flight data showed there was no way you should have survived. So I'm going to let you go ahead and just share some of your backstory, and then let's dig into that experience and how that literally transitioned your life in a whole new way. Yeah. Well, brief backstory is I was applying for college scholarships in different schools, and uh, the Navy seemed like a good option with the ROTC program for a scholarship. Mm -hmm. I actually was accepted to the University of San Diego and thought I was a shoe-in for the ROTC scholarship since I had great grades and extracurriculars, all that stuff. And it didn't happen. And it turned out it was because I had admitted honestly to the question of some marijuana use in high school. And apparently that was a hard deal breaker for the Navy. And that was kind of shocking. So I kind of had to pull out at the last second from University of San Diego after working really hard through high school to be able to go where I wanted. And at the last second, it rolled at Oregon State University because I was living in Portland at the time and we could really only afford a you know state school without the scholarship. And right before school was about to start, we get a call from the executive officer of the University of San Diego. He was the executive officer of the ROTC unit, retired Navy commander. And he happened to be the assistant director of admissions in his new civilian job post-Navy retirement and noticed that I had withdrawn my application. And he pulled some strings with the commanding officer of the unit. And the guy talked to me on the phone and said, hey, it looks like you're a good kid with a lot of good things going. You just maybe made a couple of bad decisions. If you'll give me your word that you will keep your nose clean, then I will let you into the unit. You will be non-scholarship your first uh, year. But if you do well, as I suspect you will, then you can pick up the scholarship um, after your first semester and you'll have the last three years paid for. And so that was kind of a beginning stage of this miraculous series of events that the Lord, I believe, really kind of orchestrated to an extent with obviously there's free will and partnership that goes into that. It's not a robotic sovereignty thing, but I believe that there's a theme throughout my life of the Lord, his hand powerfully coming into play with my Navy career and just getting into the Navy and that kind of last second miraculous turnaround was the entry point and uh, multiple points since then. Where would you say your faith was at the time that officer called you, that former officer? You know, I was saved at a young age, probably eight years old. I have a very real relationship with Jesus for my whole life growing up. Definitely had one foot in the world, obviously, as uh, you can probably gather. But we really prayed, my parents and I together, about even that application and those questions, because there was no record of any um, illegal drug use. And we were really hesitant to create one, basically. But we prayed and we went through the Bible and Proverbs and different verses that talked about the value of integrity and honesty. 
And uh, it was kind of a scary decision. So I would say it was a faith decision in a sense to even answer those questions honestly. And then it was kind of disappointing, but it was undeniably miraculous the way it happened at the last second. So I would say it was, uh, I knew at the time that this was the Lord's hand and favor in my life. I was a little torn because I had just gotten over the crushing disappointment and moved on and was like enrolled and ready to go to school. And then I felt like I was getting yanked back, you know, but it was undeniably the Lord. And there was clearly something I would say supernatural about it in retrospect. Yeah. Well, then you became a helicopter pilot for the Navy. That was not an overnight process, man. How'd that happen? Well, I was selected for flight school out of college and went to Navy flight school in Florida. And I should add, by this point, I had um, pretty much from the beginning of college, around the end of the first semester, I had started a long and pretty significant prodigal slide, if you will, into drinking and, hate to say it, drugs, even while I was in ROTC and then even worse, active duty. So again, kind of getting into this worldly lifestyle and, but doing well in a sense is kind of this duality of I had the Navy to keep me on track. But personally and spiritually, kind of going off the rails, but I had enough you know, discipline and structure and was invested in my flight career at that point that I got through school. And it was a process. It took about two and a half years because there was a lot of delays. And even in the probably the most optimistic timeline, it would be at least a year and a half. So yeah, indeed, it was quite a process. So how long had you been flying when you had this helicopter accident, this crash? So that crash was actually was on my dad's birthday, July 31st of 2007. And I had first started flying right after I graduated and got commissioned in San Diego in 2003. So I'd say four years at that point. What happened? Basically, I tried to salvage a bad situation. And I see this now as a kind of a a microcosm of a a revelation I've gotten of grace. But we were doing what's called a practice autorotation. And this is a dynamic maneuver, but it's one that I'd done hundreds, if not thousands of times by this point. And it's where we simulate uh, a dual engine failure where we have to land without power. And we actually do take the um, power control levers down to zero, but we don't completely disengage the engine. So it's not a, what's called a full auto rotation like we did in flight school, but you know, it's a dynamic maneuver, like I said, but it's, it's nothing crazy. I've done it a hundred times. And on this particular entry into the auto rotation, I started just a little off parameters and my airspeed was slow. And what I should have done well before it got to a critical point was just do what's called a wave off and no harm, no foul, bring the engines back up, go around for another try. Mm -hmm. That's something that is always um, available and encouraged. And being the basically operating in my flesh, though I didn't have those words for it at the time, it was, no, I got this, I'll salvage it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make, I'm not going to, it was kind of pride. I don't want to have to like admit that I screwed this up and, and go back around. I'm, I'm going to try to like salvage this maneuver. And in, in trying to doing so, I make I made it much worse. And we got into a very high rate of descent because of the lack of forward airspeed. And about 100 feet off the ground, both of us, because there's always two pilots, there's a pilot in command, and then there's me as the uh, co-pilot. And I was flying near the aircraft, but we both realized at about 100 feet off the deck that we were in a bad situation and we both pulled full power, but our descent rate was too high. So we hit the ground really hard and we landed what's called right wing down. So we were, it's his wing, even though it's rotor Mm -hmm. blades, but we were very much in a state where 
it is a total miracle that rotor blades did not hit the runway, which would have made a bad day <laughs> much worse, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, we recovered. We broke off the right main landing gear, did a 180, but recovered control of the aircraft. And we were able to eventually set it safely and uh, home base. But it was a, a pretty significant event, to say the least. And like I said, it should have been a lot worse. The new executive officer of the unit was the safety mishap director or officer. And he told me after the crash, he said, Ryan, I have run all the models and simulations from the onboard sensors seven ways from Sunday. And every single time in the computer, in the model, you get into what's called dynamic rollover. And that is a very bad day in a naval aviator's line of work. And basically it's where the rotor blades hit the runway, break off, the aircraft rolls over, pretty much crushes the occupants. And uh, nobody's really typically walking away from that situation. And everybody walked away in this one. Well, that was a wake-up call for you, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it was. So what happened after that occurred with respect to that wake-up call? Well, I would say it took probably a couple weeks, but... You know, fast forwarding through a lot of stories and kind of amazing little godly signposts along the way, about six weeks later or something like that, I ended up getting down on my knees on my birthday while I was in Mexico with my parents and gave my life back to the Lord. You know, I was so far gone spiritually at this point, Brian, that I I remember specifically sometimes asking myself, like, am I even still a believer? Am I still a Christian? Do I even believe this anymore? I don't don't even know. I would have said I was spiritually dead, but I realized in retrospect now I was spiritually comatose. I always was trying to distract myself with whether it was drinking or partying, hanging out with friends. I didn't want to have those like still quiet times where the the still small voice of the Lord would start to speak and convict me, right? And that was uncomfortable. So brush that under the the carpet or the rug. Mm -hmm. And then this was too big to sweep under the rug. And it finally made me realize like, wow, I'm a mess. I need to, I've done a a pretty good job of screwing up my life. I need to do a change of controls and let, uh, let God back in the cockpit and take over this flight and get me back on glide slope, so to speak. I I love the terminology, man. It just flows out of you. (laughs) So after you made that decision, you got on your knees. What did you see change? What started to occur? Well, I just started making different choices, right? I started going to church. I started getting plugged into a small group. I started reading the word, journaling, praying, and surrounding myself with godly counsel. I started drinking less and trying to really distance myself from that lifestyle. And it wasn't an all, you know, one and done overnight thing like you sometimes hear about. It was very much a process and a journey. But I would say fairly quickly, my heart started to change. And I would say divine interventions that uh, continued to happen after that point, including not uh, flying anymore. And that was a big decision. And the commanding officer of my squadron did something very interesting. And he asked me if I would take some time to go think and take some time off and not to say whether I could continue as a pilot, but whether I should. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. And that was a miracle in itself. That's how I ended up being in Mexico on vacation with my family on my birthday. Hmm. I should have been getting the final stages of my Naval Aviation Evaluation Board. And it was a miracle he let me do that. And kind of the decision that I came to after prayer and studying the word was, I don't have the wisdom or the experience to answer that question. So my thought was, you know, Commander Frazier, that was my commanding officer. I said, I am more than willing 
to go forward. But after a lot of thought and prayer, I defer to you because you have more knowledge and experience in this than me. Mm. And I'm I'm open-handed and trusting God, whatever happens. There was an interesting thing that happened, I think is is worth mentioning here. I was journaling one day and I was going through like a workbook. I think it was called Equipping the Saints or something like that. And it said, list a couple things that are on your heart or in your life and pray about them every single day for a certain amount of time until you definitively hear the the Lord say yes, no, or wait. And so that night, the number one thing on my heart was whether or not I was going to continue as a pilot because I had gotten through the mishap and the safety board. And basically they said, this was pilot error, but it wasn't gross negligence. And if you go through this probationary syllabus, you'll continue on and, and you can go on deployment and do all this stuff. And so I had just had the best flight for a very long time this day that I was praying about this. But interestingly, I had this dream where I went into work like usual around eight in the morning and I got called into my commanding officer's stateroom. And basically he told me that I would no longer be flying. And it made no sense to me because I had had some really bad flights knocking the rust off, so to speak, Mm -hmm. after getting back in the cockpit from a six month hiatus going through all this safety mishap board investigation stuff. And it, it really made no sense in the natural why that would have been the case. But so I, I woke up, I said, like, oh, that's kind of weird, right? And that was interesting because it was literally the night that I had just prayed for the first time, like committed to pray about these things. And, wow. um, and you know, I walk in that morning and that is exactly what happened. That called into the CEO stateroom and he told me I wouldn't be flying. Anymore. <laughs> and I was kind of dumbfounded and shocked But at the same time, I had such a sense of peace and release. And I was just like, okay, well, I just, I literally just prayed about this. And I had this weird dream, which I didn't have, again, a grid yet at the time for prophetic dreams or any kind of supernatural guidance in that way. But I believe fully that's what it was. And I can tell you the fruit of it, Brian, was that in a very difficult conversation otherwise, that would be crushing and a sense of identity um, Mm -hmm. being really ripped away, which there still was that to an extent. But my immediate, was more of peace and relief than disappointment, anger, shame, or any of those things you might typically expect. And I fully believe it's because the Lord was preparing my heart for what was coming and that he had something else for me to transition into. How powerful and how precious of the Lord to do that, to set that up, to tee that up for you in a dream. Right. Wow. Right. I mean, that just shows the love of the Father. And it also speaks to the preparation that God puts within us for certain things that are going to happen. And it's not, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, although you thought, gosh, that's bizarre. It was a good thing ultimately, wasn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. What changed after that occurred when he said, you're not going to fly anymore. What happened? Basically I ended up getting taken off of flight status. So they didn't take my wings away. Still got to wear the wings and the insignia, but I was no longer, you know, going to fly in the Navy. I was still at the squadron trying to figure out next steps. And at one point I had gotten a set of orders to Iraq with the army doing IED stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. roadside bombs. And to a naval aviator living the dream in San Diego, getting stationed with the army in Iraq in the middle of the summer is about the worst thing you could possibly imagine. But I just felt like I was so ready for the next thing. I was just like, whatever, God, I'm ready. Like, send me. Felt like, I guess, the faith of Abraham. Like, I don't know what's happening, but I just know I can't stay here. I think I had just come to a point where like, whatever you've got, God, 
I'm all in. If this is what it is, fine, let's do it. So I was ready to go. And then two weeks before I was supposed to go on deployment, like I had rented out my condo that I owned at the time in San Diego. I had gone through all the pre-deployment screening. Like I was like packed, bags ready, halfway out the door. And then almost just flippantly one day, the executive officer comes up to me. He's like, hey, so uh, you heard your orders to Iraq got canceled. I'm like, what? No. I'm like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. Just came straight from the top. Even your replacement was canceled as well. You know, it sounds funny. You you wouldn't think this would be the response, but I was a little um, upset and frustrated kind of back to that thing of where I had made peace with a, what mm-hmm. would normally be considered a disappointment, kind of like that whole college thing. Yeah. And I was ready to go. My heart, you know, I was like, all right, this is what's happening. And then very good news, but it was kind of a, a big jarring effect of like, well, now what am I going to, what am I going to do now? And long story short, I got a dream set of orders at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California, where the Navy was going to send me there for 18 months and pay me full active duty, wearing civilian clothes four days a week to get my MBA. What? I mean, really? Yeah, exactly. What? Yeah. That's, wow. <laughs> that is the appropriate response. I bet you were dumbfounded. Yeah, I was because crashing a $30 million helicopter is not typically a career advancing move for an able <laughs> aviator. Right. Here, dude, we'll pay for your MBA now. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell you, Brian, these are very, very coveted, like a uh, highly competitive set of orders that only like the best in upwardly mobile due course officers, as we call them, are usually the ones that get this. And I guess at the last second, somebody had dropped out and they needed to fill that spot. And I'll just say that almost despite myself, at first I didn't want to go and I got some wise counsel. And this was a picture of God's grace to me too, because not only did I not get punished and set back from this terrible performance, spiritually, professionally, personally, however you want to look at it, total shame and failure. Not only did I not get punished or sent to the desert (laughs) for Mm -hmm. correction, but just like the prodigal son, I actually got even greater rewards. And I get set up with this ridiculous, sweet deal set of orders. And all I had to do was have my undergrad fax the transcripts over two weeks later. I was getting my MBA. Incredible, man. So you get your MBA and what happened next? So after that, and I will say just very quickly that even when I was there at grad school, I I was not trying to get, I was trying to get out of the MBA program and do what's called the foreign area officer program, because I was still trying to kind of salvage my career. Hmm. And I was like, this is a good deal. I, I mean, I didn't have any interest in business at the time. And um, the Navy was very firm that, nope, you are going to stay in this program and you will graduate with your MBA. And I was like, okay, Roger that. That's fine. (laughs) But even at the time, I felt like, and I think this was around 2008, I remember thinking like, well, I don't have any interest in business or my MBA. I mean, I know it's a good degree and that's great, but... I just feel like there's got to be some kind of kingdom purpose to this, right? Mm-hmm. And and I also just had this vague kind of sense, uh, foregone conclusion almost, that I was going to write a book at some point. No desire in the heart, just kind of this, oh yeah, well, later on when I write my book, this might be part of it. That's such an interesting statement. And I, I have that same sense from the Lord at times. This offhanded thought comes into your mind. It's just kind of right. like, oh, that's kind of a cool idea. But you don't realize it's the Holy Spirit telling you. Yeah. This is going to happen. I don't know about you, but I feel like we get so many of these types of thoughts and we kind of look and go, was that me? Was that you? Yeah. What was that? And it's just fascinating to me how we think it's us speaking to ourselves. when many times it's actually his spirit just offering stuff up to our consciousness, right? Yeah. Naturally supernatural, as some people call it. Yeah. So natural that it was, yeah, it was just kind of this flippant thought almost, which I've now become more aware of, like you said, but it was, yeah, it was 
just a kind of fleeting thing. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to grow a little bit more in my discernment and uh, my relationship with God. So like I said, I even had a, an inkling at the time, like there's got to be some kind of kingdom purpose because this is just too crazy, <laughs> you know, otherwise. Yeah. But but yeah, kind of just one of those thoughts that came in back in 2008, 2009, put it on the shelf and didn't even think about it probably for years. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I did end up publishing a book in 2020. And um, it was interesting to see all that in retrospect. As you write your own story, you get deeper layers of revelation. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. It's It's really funny. And now I'm trying to be a little bit more conscientious. And I love something that Andy Mason from Heaven and Business says, which is, I used to say, it's probably me. It might be God. Now I say, it's probably God. It might be me. The statement is very accurate. If we're walking with the Lord, right? If we're if we're pressing into and desiring to know his voice, why wouldn't it be him first? Right. What's the title of the book? It's called A Better Way. And the, the subtitle is God's Design for Less Stress and Greater Success. Wow. Well, let's dig into that. You shared with me that you had been praying diligently for almost a decade to really land into what you felt was an incredibly life-giving career path. And God did it. God brought these components together, and now you're living that. How did that happen? Well, it's a a decade-long-plus journey, but I guess the starting point of this in 2010 or so when I was in Afghanistan, I read a book called Strengths Finder 2.0, which really uh, kind of changed my life. And it basically Incredible um, book. changed the paradigm. Okay. So you're familiar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Amazing, right? Just mm-hmm. love that that philosophy, right? I think it's a very kingdom philosophy that basically don't try to spend most of your time shoring up your weaknesses because you're not going to get much return on investment from that effort and time. But if you focus on your natural strengths, what I would say your God-given strengths, then you will have not only more fulfillment, but much more productivity, profitability. You'll add much more value to people in the world. And I was just like, I was just on fire to find what that was for me. And so skipping forward through, you know, the rest of my Navy career, getting out in 2014, being a realtor for a while, working for a startup company and a bunch of different things. I finally came back to at one point, it was around 2016. I felt like the Lord gave me another level of revelation. It kind of brought that kind of flippant thought of 2008 back to my mind of like, this is what I'm calling you to do writing, speaking, coaching, teaching, and counseling in business and ministry. Wow. I could literally write a book about it, but I have, so you can (laughs) read uh, more about it if you want the details. But that was really an amazing revelation to me of like, oh, this is what it looks like. It's not to get a job that already exists. Because I wouldn't say I'm like, you're, you know, just natural born entrepreneur or business person, but I realized that in this dogged pursuit with the the Lord of finding what I call my sweet spot, that fulfilling career and calling. It was something that didn't exist already off the shelf. It was something that the Lord and I were going to have to partner together to create. I love what you just said. You knew because this wasn't an off-the-shelf gig that you'd have to partner (laughs) with the Lord. I love that because I think so often we miss the partnership God wants to take with us and Mm. we push it aside because we can already see normally what we should do. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a regular, quote, job or be a coach or be whatever, but there's something amazingly unique, which I know you're going to get into, about that partnership. So what did that look like? How did that come to fruition in your life? 
Well, the thing that at that moment I felt like the Lord was sharing me to do was actually start writing this book or not necessarily start writing it at that time, but realizing like this is a big part of my calling is being an inspirational communicator and in the business of personal development. Now, at the time, I thought that looked like John Maxwell, Tony Robbins, probably a little more spirit filled version of that stuff. But yeah, I was thinking it was going to be more the motivational speaking and uh, that kind of stuff, which it is. And I have done some of that. But fast forwarding to a couple of years ago, when I was in this kind of pursuit of getting closer, dialing it in, but not knowing exactly, like after I graduated from three years of Bible college in uh, 2019, and then in 2020, kind of like, all right, God, I finished that. There was another layer of it that I had kind of taken for granted and that people in my life had spoken into. And I'd say that's an important thing. When people speak really powerfully and directly into a gift or anointing of yours, don't blow it off or diminish it. Because around this time, I had done a business school project at Karis Bible College. And I had some people that I knew that were also spirit-filled believers, really liked them, close relationship. And I really looked up to them. They're very savvy, intelligent investors and business owners. And I had put together this presentation I, I gave. It started off as just a school project that eventually became potentially getting a significant capital from outside investors. Wow. Uh, as I started just flowing in this gift that I didn't quite know I had. I mean, I'd always been interested in, in finance and investments and you know economics and not realizing at the time that that natural proclivity was actually a really significant part of my calling and anointing. Mm -hmm. But one guy in particular very pointedly said, look, you've really got a knack for this. And I know you're doing the coaching and the ministry stuff. And I think that's awesome. But I would like really encourage you to seriously consider getting into maybe doing this full time because there's not many people that pick it up that quick and you just have a mind for it and you can really serve people powerfully. And what was it, Ryan, he was referring to getting into full time? I was doing uh, real estate investment analysis and pitching. At the time, we were probably both thinking that meant being someone who would raise capital for real estate investment syndications, which I'm a huge fan of and, and know a lot about right now. But we weren't sure what it was exactly, but something in the financial realm that involved using a combination of numbers and words and people. And even in that project, I very specifically remember talking to one of the potential outside investors. And uh, I remember saying to him, man, I wish there was a job where all I had to do was deal with numbers and people. Like, I just want to crunch spreadsheets for a living and then talk with people and <laughs> cut out. Like, I don't want to deal with like operations or inventory and contracts. I just numbers and people. That's all I want. And I didn't think there was such a job. Turns out there is. And that's what I'm doing now in a roundabout way. When I published the book in 2020, I went to a conference at Bethel Church in Redding, California called Heaven and Business, which I uh, mentioned earlier. And again, kind of an offhand thing that I was interviewing somebody for my podcast, which is also called The Better Way, very similar to what you do, Brian. I had started that back in 2017. And I met somebody at the conference who had a really powerful story, and I interviewed him on the podcast. And as we were finishing up, almost as an oh, by the way, made a, uh, a comment about a life insurance policy that I had and had used to buy an investment property that ended up being like an amazing thing that in retrospect, again, God was totally setting me up for. 
And that flippant little comment at the end of that phone call ended up becoming full-time what I'm doing now um, with a company called Unbridled Wealth. And it's a very niche thing I hadn't ever heard of before, despite a pretty significant financial background. And to be honest with you, Brian, at first, my flesh was really resisting it because I was thinking I was going to be like an investment advisor working at a registered investment advisory. And I probably will at some point, maybe fairly soon do that. But at the time, it involved selling life insurance, but structuring it in a very specific way that basically makes it like an opportunity fund for investments and business ventures. And it's uh, called the infinite banking concept or privatized banking, if people want to look into that. And that's that's what I'm doing now. But it pulled together all of these different gifts and talents. Exactly. It was perfectly the answer to my prayer of just working with numbers and people. But I noticed a lot of times when God has something for you, it almost never will look what like what we think it's going to look like. And I was like, are you kidding me, God? After all this whole journey of a decade plus of doggedly searching for my calling and you know anointing, life insurance. Like, frankly, <laughs> my flesh thought that was a little bit beneath me and I struggled with it. But I had come to the point where I realized like, all right, God, I kind of, despite myself, this feels like it's just completely oozing with your grace. And it's almost like I'm going down the, the grace slide, digging in my heels on the way down. And I was like, and I had had some success in sales too, but I had gotten into a real performance mindset that caused a lot of anxiety. Mm. And I was like, all right, God, there's a lot of things about this I don't like, but I seem, it seems like maybe you're breathing on this. So if this is from you, you have to absolutely confirm this in no uncertain terms. I am not going to strive and try to make this happen. And if this is from you, then I will step forward. And sure enough, within you know a couple months of being licensed, I had an unbelievable engagement with a client who ended up being one of those guys that was a potential outside investor that I had said at the time, I wish I could just crunch numbers and deal with people. And he was like my first really big client, huge case, enormous sale right off the bat. Like So basically, the Lord confirming undeniably like immediate and overwhelming <laughs> fruit and prosperity and blessing from this. And then it's just built and gone to a whole different level from there in the last year and a half or so that I've been doing this. How has God, since that moment, been bringing in your clientele? Has it all been word of mouth? It really has, Brian. That's the amazing thing. And that's part of what I talk about when I say God's better way is less stress, more rest, and greater success. Because anybody like you, who's been in business or sales and you have to generate your own income. The biggest thing, and frankly, the greatest challenge that most people face is generating the leads and getting the the clients coming in. Totally. And that's huge, huge. Like most people, that's 80 to 90% of their initial activities is just lead generation. Mm -hmm. And I have, other than doing um, some webinars and sending a couple emails out about that, I have done zero prospecting, quote unquote, in the traditional <laughs> sense. And God is just literally, people will email me out of the blue, say, hey, the Holy Spirit just brought you to mind and wanted to connect. Like, what are you doing these days? What are you putting your hand to? And I'm like, well, good to hear from you. It's been like a year and a half and here's what I'm doing. They're like, oh, that's amazing. And then they become a client and it's like <laughs> a huge deal. <laughs> I love that model. Let's go. Yeah, it's great. I highly recommend it. I would too. It's, that's awesome. <laughs> so you've been doing this concept now and working in this space for how long? Well, I officially got licensed in August of 2020. So about a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. And I have learned, I would say my financial IQ has doubled several times within the last five years. I had a pretty good background before I started doing this. I bought an investment property 2017. I would say my IQ financially doubled within you know my whole life within a couple of years. And I say it's at least doubled again since then. So there's this compound effect of knowledge and experience 
that builds similar to compound interest in your your gift, your anointing, your knowledge and experience and the insights that you get in the natural from using your God-given talents, but then also being open to very unconventional, sometimes very counterintuitive, seemingly illogical thought processes and decisions that I've had to make along the way. And mm-hmm. again, when I look back, it's like, wow, this is exactly what I prayed for. It just happened in a completely different way than I would have expected. And a, a verse that I quote a lot is 1 Corinthians one twenty five, which says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And I've seen that over and over. And I think this amazingly fulfilling, fruitful career path that I'm on now is it's a microcosm of that. Just yesterday at the gym, I was speaking with a, a guy who's been a nurse for 16 years. And he's like, man, I'm ready to get out of this. I'm ready to get into something that I really love. 16 years. I'm sure there are people listening to this that are thinking similarly I don't have a lot of time left, or I've been doing this for decades, or I've been doing this for a few years, and I feel like a round peg in a square hole. I really, truly want to walk out what God has created me and gifted me to do. What would you recommend to somebody that's thinking that right now? I would just say the Lord, I believe, has uniquely equipped and anointed every single person with a calling and a skill set that is very specifically designed by him that they can carry out in a very unique way that nobody else can. And I believe listening to those movements or currents in your heart and your mind, those things that you keep coming back to. For me, it was finances and communication and and interaction with people Mm -hmm. at a deep level. And what the Lord has shown me is, again, this idea of what I call the sweet spot, which is your deepest passion, your deepest pain, your greatest strength, and your greatest service. And the intersection of those four kind of overlapping concentric circles, if you will, is what I call the sweet spot. And I think going against the grain of who you are because you feel like, oh, I should be doing this, or this is a profitable industry, business, career path, et cetera. If it's not filling you with life and it doesn't come naturally to you, you might be better served by adopting that strengths finder approach with a kind of Holy Spirit overlay, as I call it, to really dig into those things that you're naturally good at, love doing, that doesn't feel like work, but that makes you amazingly productive and adds a, a huge amount of value to people around you. And being willing to walk away from something that like 16 years or you know, even more in some cases to pursue that can be a very intimidating or uh, scary prospect. But I can tell you from my journey of searching and just trusting the Lord to to let this unfold in his ways and his timing in that co-laboring partnership is absolutely incredible. And I can't imagine doing anything else than what I'm doing now. But there was a time when I couldn't have imagined doing what I'm doing now either because I just didn't have that perspective. So I'd say taking the time to really dig into like and doing coaching or personality and different assessments to really get in touch with who God's made you to be, to kind of mine the gold, so to speak, within you and bring that out and let the Lord refine it through you, in you and through you. I think is a really, really important thing. And I've got some teaching and materials where I walk people through this. Uh, In fact, I was doing that full time as as part of my coaching ministry before I got into financial services. And now I'm intersecting that with the financial piece. But whatever it is for you, I would really look into those things and taking again, 
that feedback seriously from people who you trust, who speak into your life. Because what I found is that your sweet spot is so natural and easy for you that it might be easy to take it for granted and diminish its significance because it's like, oh yeah, well, that's just, that's just how it is. It's just easy. Like this is, it's not a big deal. And like for other people, what I do would be the worst thing on earth, you know, spending all this time <laughs> crunching numbers and spreadsheets, yeah. <laughs> staying up till one thirty, like we talked about before we started recording. But for me, I'm happy as a clam. I just get lost in it. I find my flow. And so finding that flow and seeing how the Lord speaks into it and being willing to let him lead you in a very different direction than you might have originally envisioned. And he'll confirm things along the way, right? Because yeah. the tree is known by its fruit and it's not going to be without effect. There's always a practical bottom line impact. And I'm really big on that, but it takes a renewal of the mind. So it's a multifaceted process and journey, but I, I would encourage anybody who's listening if you're feeling that pull towards something and or away from something, take that seriously and take the time to really investigate it and spend some time seeking out wise counsel from an abundance of counselors and um, spending time with the Lord and praying and journaling, um, doing, like I said, personality assessments and career profiles, whatever it is, really investing in that process of discovering who God's made you to be. And from that being and that identity will flow what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. That's so good. How can people find out more about you? Well, you can go to a betterwaypodcast.com. That's my kind of ministry platform where I have information about the podcast and the book and some different things. And then for my quote unquote full-time day job, you can go to unbridledwoke.com and I can give you a link if you want to put it in the show notes, but you can go there and see if you're interested in the financial piece and the infinite banking concept. I've got my online profile on there, which gives a little bit more of my professional and personal background. And you can connect with me and schedule an appointment uh, through the website, or you can just reach out to me. I'm happy to give my you know, personal contact information if you'd like. I'll definitely put that in the show notes. As we finish up here, Ryan, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Absolutely. Well, Lord, I just thank you for having this time of just life-giving conversation with Brian, my brother from another mother. <laughs> and I just thank you, God, for um, your goodness. And I just pray above all else that people listening to this would get a revelation of your goodness, the amazing good plans you have for them, and practical wisdom, guidance, and discernment in how to step into that in a greater measure. And I thank you in advance for the amazing testimonies and uh, transformative life changes that will occur through this as people get in touch with you and themselves in the way you've designed them to be fulfilled by expanding your kingdom and blessing other people. And I just thank you so much for this incredible revelation of grace and your better ways. And I just thank you that people are going to really take this and run with it. That's my declaration that people will hear this and take that step, even if it's scary, to really open themselves up to what you have for them and let you lead them and guide them into that that better way of doing things that transcends human knowledge and wisdom. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ryan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you again. I just love what you're doing and I want to honor that. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.